everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about joy. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to do one thing and ask you to do another. I want to invite you to download a free resource that we are giving away with this series. For this series of sermons on joy, we produced a companion devotional booklet. It's over 50 pages long. It has devotional entries for each day that I'm not preaching. I really do think it is something that would be valuable to your spiritual life. And you can get it for absolutely free. All you have to do is go to wilsonville.church joy. That's wilsonville.church joy. And click on the download booklet button. I also want to ask you to leave a rating or review if you find this sermon particularly helpful to you. When you leave a rating or review on your podcast host, it helps our sermons be heard by more people, and we think that that is super important. So please do that if you feel led to do so. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So some of you, most of you know this, but some of you don't know this. I have a debilitating, potentially debilitating disease uh, called the Portland Trailblazers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I do have a potentially debilitating disease uh, called multiple sclerosis or MS, as many of you know it. And um, it's been, uh, it's interesting. I didn't realize this until I thought about putting in my sermon, but I was diagnosed with MS almost 10 years ago, like right in this month right here. I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but uh, I've told some of, less of you know what I'm about to say. So when I was diagnosed, it started with like in the fall of, you know, 11 years ago, I, uh, I, my leg was tingly. Everybody told me it was my sciatic nerve. I didn't know what that was until my leg went tingly. And then in the spring, these two fingers right here went all tingly on me when I was washing my hair, and, th- and that was no big deal. I'm like, whatever, like shake your arm, you know. Um, and then, and then uh, like a day later, my whole body just poof, tingly, like, like it had fallen asleep. Every part of me had just fallen asleep, and it wouldn't wake up. And uh, it was frustrating because it was really hard to type. Like all of a sudden, I'm a pretty good typist, and it's like the just, I don't know, like, you know, when you wake up and your arms aren't working yet, when you've gone and when you've slept on it wrong or whatever, it was like that, but all the time. Uh, So, you know, it made it difficult to do some work things, but nothing was more frustrating. And I'm looking at my brother-in-law as I say this, because he was there and he was pretty frustrated about this whole thing too. Uh, Then this game of ultimate Frisbee that we played, Uh, we had, I brought a Frisbee just for illustrative purposes, but we, we, not me, but my roommates, my brother-in-law was my roommate before we married sisters. And then another one of our roommates had, had just built these great, pretty deep relationships with the Mormon missionaries that were in Wilsonville at that time. Uh, the, my roommates were about the same age as Mormon missionaries, and uh, so they developed this great relationship, and, and we decided to play a game of Ultimate Frisbee with our roommates and some people that they knew, these Mormon missionaries, uh, and their other missionaries from like other, you know, local regions. 
And uh, so we were going to play for souls and like we had this all set up and like, you know, you can grow Mormonism or we'll grow the truth and uh, you know, like this is how it's going to go down. And, and so we schedule this game and after this game is scheduled, I'm pretty certain, is when everything goes tingly. Now I had played college baseball not long before this. I'm a pretty good athlete uh, and and I'm out there, and they're throwing me the Frisbee, my teammates, Matt's probably like, I don't care what you were diagnosed with, you ruined everything. And I mean, I'm telling you, like a Frisbee's just hit in my hand, and just like that, right there. Like I can't catch, I can't run, I can't keep up with people, everything just felt terrible. And, and not long after I was diagnosed with MS, and what I learned quickly about MS is that it is this, uh, it, it's this disease that makes everything really really uncertain and uh, you go and uh, and I've told you this in a sermon for this part if you've been around a long time you've heard like the first thing I did when they said I might have MS is I walked over to Borders I think it was Borders at uh, up there at Bridgeport and I opened up books about MS and uh, if you ever are diagnosed with MS don't do that like that's a bad idea because it wasn't it wasn't like like you 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 may be fine. It was like, here's the walking machines you can choose from someday. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, so this is how this is going to go. And so what I've learned, what, what became really clear as you talk to people, as you read books, is that it's this incredible disease of, of having no clue what's coming next. Because you talk to some people with MS, which thankfully I am one of these people, and hardly anything's wrong with them, right? Like you probably, you didn't know I had MS if you're new around here. And, and then you talk to other people or you see other people and they, they can't walk. And, and so it creates this uncertainty that, that makes life pretty scary for a while. After you come to terms with it, you kind of get on with life, but at first it's like, am I going to be able to walk tomorrow, you know? And um, life is just that way. Like, it's a great illustration for life, and we don't think about it unless we've been diagnosed with something, but as soon as we were diagnosed with life, we entered into this this thing that's just super uncertain. I, I, I doubt that there's anybody here this morning that hasn't had life go so differently and so much worse because of a single moment than they expected. Like you're having a perfectly good day and then you get a phone call and you're like, everything is different. Uh, you, you, you're just having a, you know, a nice afternoon planned and then you rear in somebody, you know? I mean, like that type of thing. Uncertainty is all around us. It's just something that we deal with. It's just part of being human. We think we have a good day planned and then all of a sudden that phone call comes or that accident takes place or this injury happens and, and, and everything can be changed just like that. And, and here's, here's the problem with that as far as our subject matter today. The uncertainty of life, it really makes it difficult for us to have joy because even in our greatest moments I think that especially I know many of you and uh, and I know this is a problem for you you're still so stuck in the uncertainty of what might happen that you can't even enjoy the enjoy the things that that are happening the good that's in your life currently because you're worried about what's coming next 
our circumstances, we talked about this last week, are a, are a huge barrier to joy, right? Like the up and down of life is a huge barrier to our, to our joy. But another barrier is not just our circumstances, but the future circumstances that we can't predict no matter how hard we try to prepare for the future, you know, have everything in line or figure it all out. We just, we can't, we can't predict what's going to take place. And it prevents us from having the joy that, that God has called us to have, that, that we'll see in this passage is a part of the Christian faith. As we grow, and I'll say this later more emphatically, as we grow in our faith, we ought to be growing in joy. They go hand in hand together. And we're going to look at this passage of scripture from Paul in the book of Philippians as we've been doing in this series as the fourth sermon in this series and it's all in Philippians and we're not just looking at like what Paul says about joy. I don't think that would be as fun, you know, if he's like here's five steps to joy. What we're looking at is, is Paul and his situation and how Paul personally is finding it within himself to have joy despite the fact that he's been on this incredible run of, of bad like for six chapters of, of, this, of the book of Acts, he's like dealing with difficult things and now he's sitting in Rome under house arrest, maybe chained to a guard and he's talking about all the reasons that he has joy anyway. And today we're gonna see that Paul makes this first verse, I mean, it's gonna get right to it, is about how Paul knows he will have joy. That's an incredible idea, right? And we'll read that and say, but that's an incredible idea. But the uncertainty of life for us can stand in the way of that. And here's, here's kind of what Christians have done traditionally and, and, and not just like in the past traditionally, but all around our country, there's kind of two ways that, that people deal with the uncertainty of life and connect it to faith and say, well, you know, you need to live for Jesus and you should be, you know, joyful anyway. Here's, here's kind of the two ideas to make that happen despite the fact that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the first is this, and, and these are, I think, wrong, wrong ways to live and to think, and, and they are used in terrible ways. But the, the first thing that people will do is say, hey, you, you want to know how to deal with the uncertainty of life? As long as you do everything right, then God will just totally bless you and nothing will go wrong. That, that's how they get you to give the money on TV right there. Like, hey, if you send us $5 and, you know, do everything else right, then you don't have to worry about uncertainty because we will send you the prayer shawl and everything will be okay for you. That is how pastors all over our country are making far more money than me because they are telling people if you just give a little bit more this Sunday, then, then. You're going to get an extra little check in the mail. Not from us, but you will get one. And that's how many people around our country, when it comes to the Christian faith and, and joy, that's, that's how they tell you it can be done. Like, if you just give enough money or do all the right things, then, or have enough faith, or you say the perfect things into the mirror every morning, then you don't have to worry about the uncertainty of life. Well, we know that's stupid, right? I mean, maybe you don't because a lot of people give these people money. Maybe you don't. Well, I'm here to tell you that's stupid. You can give the right ministry money. You can do all the right things. And yet, things are going to go bad for you. Paul, by the way, is one of the greatest evangelists that have 
ever lived. I mean, the reason that you're in church this morning is, is in large part because Paul went around the known world telling people about Jesus. He was unwilling to relent in, in living for Jesus no matter what it cost him, torture, beatings, shipwrecks, snake bites. He would not give it up. And did everything go perfectly well for Paul? No, Paul is in jail when we read what he writes in this passage. And Paul has been on this run that hopefully you never go on as far as bad things happening to him. Doing all the right things does not equate to having everything go right. You still must live with uncertainty. Now the other thing that people do, and I think this is, I think this is wrong too. Maybe not as dangerous, but I think it's wrong too. We just tell people like, don't even think about life. Like just put your head on, into the clouds and think about heaven and how great it's going to be someday. And, and what happens in some sects of Christianity, although smaller than, than the ones that tell you everything will be okay if you give your money to them, uh, is that people, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Not my phrase, that's stolen from somewhere. Uh, they just stick their heads into heaven and, and they don't do anything here. They only hang out with Christians. They don't ever deal with the things around them. And when something bad happens, they kind of pretend that it didn't happen. Have you ever met people like that? It's just like, you, like, you broke your leg. Oh, I'm going to heaven someday. And you're like, come on, it still hurts, right? <laughs> like, like it acts, you're in pain right now. You, you are in pain, right? And, and, and so this other mentality, while not as dangerous in my opinion, is just to pretend, pretend, that's the, the sad reality, pretend that everything is okay because someday we'll be in heaven. But sometimes things just aren't okay. And life is hard, that's clear. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't focus on what's gonna happen in heaven because that's a great part of joy and we'll see some of that in this passage that we're gonna look at. But if we forget about life and the reason that we're living, then, then we're missing much of the purpose of life, and we'll see that in this passage too. And so here, here we come to Philippians 1, 18 through 26, and, and in this passage of scripture, I think that Paul, he finds this balance between this, this tension of you ought to have joy, but you don't know what's coming, and, and what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to have joy despite the fact that you don't know if, if you'll lose your job or you'll get sick or, or, or your spouse will you know, flip a switch and leave you someday? I mean, how do you find joy in the midst of the uncertainty of life this uncertainty that we all deal with. And here's, here's the first thing that Paul says, and it's super important. Philippians 1.18, the second half of it, he's just said, I do rejoice. And now he says this, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Really powerful statement, isn't it? Because we think maybe I'll rejoice. We think if things go the way I want them to, I'll rejoice. If everything works out for me and my good and my benefit and is positive, then I'll rejoice. If I make all the right decisions, then I will rejoice. And Paul just like says, I'm, I'm gonna rejoice. And I do need, I just, let me just remind you one more time of the situation in which Paul is writing this letter. He's under house arrest. Yeah, not the end of the world, right? He's got a guard there, not too bad. But he's waiting to go on trial. A trial that if they decide against him will result in the death penalty maybe. Right, like that's not as fun, right? And, and you think like, like, if you're Paul, I mean probably, you just, you'd just be like, well, if I'm acquitted, 
Because I know I've done nothing wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. All he's done is preach about Jesus. All he's done is tell people about Jesus and he won't stop. And so the Jewish people don't like him because they have not embraced Jesus as their Messiah. And so all he's done is tell people that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died and rose again. People have tried to shut him up. He hasn't stopped. Now he's in jail awaiting a trial. And you would say like, well, if Jesus gets me out of here, then I will rejoice. But Paul, not knowing the future, not knowing what's going to happen, whether he's going to live or die or stay arrested or whatever, says, here's the deal. No matter what, I'm going to continue to rejoice. Now, one of the things I know as a, as a communicator is that, that it's so easy to agree you know, like that's good, but not really put yourself into a position to think about it, right? But like, just consider yourself. Like, if you were under house arrest right now, and tomorrow you had a trial, and at this trial they would determine whether you would live or die. You're feeling like maybe 60-40 in the positive. How good do you feel about that? And we can put it in terms that are more realistic to us. Like if the doctor said, hey, like you have a disease and there is a 40% chance you die. Is your response to say, I will continue to rejoice? No, it's not. And it's not, I'm just going to tell you why it's not. It's not because you don't have the mentality that Paul has and that we'll see in the next few verses. Uh, you're going to like this one, I think, a little bit more. Like last week I said, it's not, it's, it just it, go back and listen to it if you weren't here, but it's not a sermon. It's like really good and everybody wants it, but it's not one that you're just like, oh, sweet, that's what I wanted the outcome of that sermon to be in that passage. But this one's going to be, but you're just gonna, it's so easy, I think, to just say like, ah, that's a good idea. But if you want joy that cannot be taken away by the uncertainty of the future, then you're going to have to be like Paul in this passage of scripture. And here's what he says next. I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. The phrase I know is really powerful right it's a really powerful anecdote to to uncertainty to not knowing because what scares us is we don't know we don't know what's going to happen and so we don't have joy and Paul now he says look here, here's what combats that I know something I know something I don't know what the future holds, but there is something I do know. And what is it? He knows that he's going to continue to live for Jesus no matter what. I mean, the phrase I know is, is super powerful because uncertainty kills joy. And I wrote it this way. Uncertainty certainly makes joy uncertain. Right? For most of us, that's the truth. Uncertainty makes joy uncertain. 
But Paul says, there is something I know, and what I know is this, that no matter what happens, I'm going to continue to exalt Jesus. This word exalt means to magnify or to make powerful. It's to show Jesus to be great. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I know that no matter what happens to me, whether I live or die or rot here in this jail, that I will make Jesus look good, that I will show Jesus to be great. I remember that Paul's entire life, and this is what I said last week, this is what Paul showed us last week, that his entire life is driven by the advancement of the gospel. That means more and more people knowing about Jesus and his death and resurrection, more people accepting it as true and giving their life to Jesus, and more people growing and living in light of the fact that Jesus died and rose again to free people, to forgive people for their sins. His entire life has that goal and aim at the center of it. And Paul here says, look, I love Jesus so much because of that gospel, because I know how much he did for me, because I understand that his death and resurrection gave me forgiveness of sin, it gives me hope, it gives me peace, it gives me joy, it gives me an eternity in heaven, because I know that and believe that so strongly. All I want is to make Jesus look good. And it doesn't matter what happens in the future, I will be able to continue to do that. I know I don't know what the future holds, but I know in the future I will exalt Jesus. And so I know that I will be joyful. I mean, last week we saw that no circumstance can take away joy if the advancement of the gospel is at the center of our lives. But this takes it a step further. If the advancement of the gospel, and, and as an extension of that, the glory of Jesus is the sole aim of our lives, then no uncertainty can take away our current joy. It just can't happen. I mean, what Paul knows is this, that, that as he awaits trial, no matter what happens, he says he will, be, he will be delivered, spiritually delivered, like he's gonna be okay in his relationship with God. Nothing is gonna deter his relationship with God. Nothing is gonna pull him away from his relationship with Jesus. It's going to be there no matter how the trial turns out. He knows that he won't be ashamed by his actions. He will continue to glorify Jesus. He will continue to speak highly of Jesus. He will not reject Jesus. He will not turn his back on Jesus he knows that no matter what he's going to have courage to exalt Jesus to make Jesus look good and so he says look I can have joy today and I will have joy in the future because I know I know no matter what happens in that future I'm going to continue to live for Jesus and his glory I mean, this is a big deal. This is like really important. It's like, like how's your faith compared to that? First of all, do you trust that no matter what you go through tomorrow, your goal and your aim will be to exalt Jesus? I'm gonna guess that, that most of you, no matter how good things are right now or how bad things are right now, it, it's not even really the goal of your life today. The goal of your life today is to, you know, pay your bills or, um, you know, be well-liked or, or, or to, you know, be successful or to make people think that you're good at your job or, or whatever. But that really is, makes the uncertainty of the future a killjoy. 
Because you have no idea if people are going to like you tomorrow. And you have no idea if your health will be good. And you have no idea if the stock market's going to crash. And you have no idea if your home will be broken into and all the stuff that you care so deeply about is going to be stolen. You have no idea. And so you, if you're not living for the glory of Jesus today, have no idea if you'll rejoice tomorrow. But if your faith in Jesus and his gospel is so strong and you have the right things in place, two things that we see in this passage I'll talk about in a second. The right things are in place in your life as far as your faith goes. Then you'll be right now living for the glory of Jesus, the advancement of the gospel on this earth. And it won't matter what happens tomorrow. You'll continue to do that. And so you can, just, you can just live in joy. You don't have to live in fear, right? Because fear of the future really takes away joy. And so many of you live in this fear, this place of fear where you're just scared about what will happen next and you never have the joy that, that Paul will in a minute connect to your faith and the growth of your faith. But if the aim is the glory of Jesus, what happens next doesn't matter because you can do it anyway. In fact, as we saw last week, Paul has made pretty clear the difficulties of life actually further the goal. If you're super scared of of getting cancer, well, let me tell you, cancer might further the goal of the advancement of the gospel and you, you should rejoice in the idea of it coming. You can rejoice no matter what. I'll tell you, the unknowns of MS make it very difficult to know what my future looks like. And praise God, I've been healthy to this point. I haven't had symptoms. I know some of you are probably sitting there wondering about that. You haven't heard anything I've said since I said MS. But, uh, but I have, I'm pretty much symptom-free. But I have no idea if I'll be able to walk. I have no idea if I'll be able to use a keyboard to type a sermon. But I do know this, that I'll probably be better to glorify Jesus if I'm the preacher that can't walk when he gets on stage, right? How powerful of a testimony is that? And because of this, I can rejoice even not knowing what the future holds for me. Now, now, the big question is like, how can I know that I'm not gonna be ashamed of how I act when the circumstances that are difficult come? How can I know that I won't turn my back on Jesus? How can I know that what comes next isn't going to turn me away from Jesus and cause me to curse Jesus and no longer live for Jesus? I mean, how is Paul so certain that if they give him the death penalty and they're about to behead him or stick him on a cross or burn him at the stake that he's going to continue to live for the glory of Jesus? What makes him so certain about that and and there's there's two things there's two things and they go hand in hand the first thing is the provision of the spirit that means God's Holy Spirit now here's something we believe as Christians not all Christians believe this but I I think that the ones that don't are, are in a very small minority and they're wrong but but when we become Christians this is what the Bible says When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He comes into our lives. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and he enters into us. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't know what that means in like a, well, this is exactly where the Holy Spirit is living. You know, I I don't like that part of the whole thing is, is a mystery to us in a lot of ways. But what we know is that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, becomes a part of our lives. He gives us 
comfort in our trials. He encourages us. He rebukes us in our, in our souls, wherever, whatever that looks like when we do wrong. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's providing us wisdom. He's helping us live for the glory of Jesus. And so we know that. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've accepted the gospel as true, then the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he's helping you live for the glory of God no matter what. I mean, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, look, you're gonna be on trial someday. I don't even want you to worry about what you're gonna say when you're on trial because the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and give you the words to say. Paul's gotta know this. I'm gonna stand on trial. It's okay. Whatever happens, God's spirit is in me. But what Paul seems to allude to here is not just the initial coming of the Holy Spirit, but like a special anointing of the Spirit. Sam Storms, a pastor, professor, blogger, says this, Paul anticipates being the recipient of a richer, deeper, fuller, more powerful outpouring of the Spirit into his life to sustain him, to give him wisdom, to direct his thought and words to equip him for ministry. Now, this church is a Baptist church. You were unaware, now you're aware. Uh, And... And in our kind of background, our culture, it doesn't like this idea really. It's like the Holy Spirit's in me, but let's not talk about him at all. The Holy Spirit indwells me, but it gets a little weird if we start thinking about what he actually does as he indwells me. That's the culture that this church comes out of. That's the culture that many of you come out of. But sometimes our traditions and our cultures and our fears of what it might mean to embrace, you know, more of talk of the Holy Spirit causes us to go down the wrong path. And it's pretty clear here what Paul is saying is that the thing that allows him to know that he will continue to live for the glory of Jesus is that when he faces the trials and when he faces, if he faces execution, the Holy Spirit will do something unique and special in him to help him continue to live for God. Now that's something that that we need If we're gonna have joy despite what might come, we need to know that when the difficulties come, God's gonna do something special in us. Give us a little extra strength, a little extra wisdom, a little extra hope and comfort and courage. Now, here's what the Bible says about that, kind of in in a nutshell. (laughs) The Holy Spirit comes into all of us, but here's, here's what we can do to the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by the way we live our lives. And I'll tell you that if there's sin in your life, if you're not living the right way, you're being disobedient to the things that God has for you, then you are grieving the Holy Spirit. And another way it's said in the New Testament is that you will quench the Holy Spirit. Now I'll tell you, it's gonna be really difficult to have joy in the future when things go badly for you, if you're quenching the Holy Spirit, you do not have the guarantee. You do not have the guarantee that when the future comes, God will give you a special anointing of the Spirit so that you can continue to live for his glory if you're being disobedient to God in this moment right now. If there's sin in your life that you're not trying to get rid of, then you are effectively grieving the Spirit inside of you and you are quenching his movement. And when the difficulties of life come, when you get sick or the family member is mad at you or whatever happens, you won't have joy and you won't live for God because you have made a decision to quench and to push down the movement of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul's looking at his life. Now, Paul's not a perfect man. I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm just talking about an effort to be perfect. That's what I'm talking about. There is no way when you read the New Testament, when you read what God has given to us about living out the Christian faith, that we should not be making an effort to remove every single sin from our lives, whether big or little. Because if we're not, we are grieving the Spirit. And, and we cannot have the assurance of future joy when we are grieving the Spirit because we do not have the future assurance that we'll have a special anointing of the Spirit to deal with whatever life gives us, whatever we face. I'll tell you, if you want joy, you gotta remove sin. That's already been clear. I didn't even really hit on it in the last passage that we looked at last week, but it was pretty clear there too. And it's clear as we move into the next part of this passage of scripture. You have to be a person that's trying to get rid of sin from your life that's moving forward in your relationship with Jesus. It's just part of the deal. It's part of the deal. And Paul says, this is one of the reasons. I have the future. I know God's gonna help. I know. I know God will help because he'll provide the spirit. But he actually connects this to something really specific in this passage. And this is where it gets a little, maybe more scary. He says that through your, through your talking to this church in Philippi, through your prayers, and this is actually connected to the special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this is where Baptists like me are like, wait a minute, like let's, let's pull back the reins here, Paul. Like we like most of the stuff that you say, but now you're getting into some other people's territory, you know. He's saying, he's saying in essence, because I know you as a church, my partners in the gospel, as he referred to them in the first passage we looked at in this series, I know that you people are praying for me, and that's part of the reason that I know God will give me a special anointing of the Spirit when I face the difficulties of life that may come in the future. This is a big deal. Who's praying for you consistently? You're not gonna have the joy that you want if you don't have a group of people around you that are partnering with you in the gospel, that are praying for you consistently, that are praying that, that no matter what you face tomorrow, God's gonna move in a special way and help you get through it. It's, it's, it's pretty clear we live, right? I think we all agree in, in, in a very joyless time in our, our nation's history. I said this at the beginning of the series, but like, you would not classify if you said, give me one emotion that describes the, the culture of America in 2018, like joy would be somewhere not on the list, right? You wouldn't say joy. And, and I can't help but think that maybe some of that is connected to the church culture that we've created around our country. We've created on accident or on purpose, I don't know, but we've created a church culture where, where the Sunday experience for most people is the full experience of what it means to be a part of a church. I show up, I sing the same songs, I listen to the same sermon, but beyond that, I don't really have a church experience. Millennials, of which I am maybe a part, millennials, uh, they're not, this is crazy, but data, we think, this is what we think about millennials. A lot of church leaders think this. Millennials aren't going to church because they 
hate spiritual things or because they're stupid and lazy and don't want to get out of bed on a Sunday morning. Our church is mainly millennials. So, uh, so uh, I mean, like this is, this is what church leaders seem to say or that they, or this is the big fix for older pastors. Like we just need to have like more relevant experience when they show up on Sunday mornings. Like we need a better light show and we need like cooler music and we'll turn it up and then the millennials, will all, they'll all be back. This is not why most millennials aren't going to church. You want to know why? Like one of the highest percentage of, when surveyed, one of the highest percentage that are not going to church is because they think they can get the same thing out of church that they can get right on the internet. I can hear a better sermon than that guy's going to preach when I show up there at that church. I can hear better music, so why show up at all? I can do it on my own schedule and with my own agenda. Now, look, Millennials are partly to blame for not reading their Bibles and saying, wait, there's more to church than that. But I think that our Christian culture is partly to blame because we've made that church. If that's church, then hey, millennial, like just stay home, right? Like you're gonna hear a better sermon than this online. You can find one. You're gonna hear better music than we can give you. Stay home. If that's all church is, don't show up on a Sunday morning. But church is so much more than that. It may not be your church experience to know it's more than that, but what the Bible says about church and what many, most of us in this church are experiencing, and I think one of the reasons that you, millennial, are here right now is because this is so much more than that, right? Our church, this hour and a half that we have on Sundays is just, it is an hour and a half on Sundays. This is not what my church's experience is about. I enjoy this. I like this. I am a believer, and we'll talk about this in the next series, that God is uniquely present when we gather here together on a Sunday, and this is an important part of our spiritual experience, but I'll tell you what makes church great knowing that there are people for me here that are praying for me consistently, knowing that there are people here that I could call in my deepest and darkest moments, knowing that there are people here that I can hang out with when we're not here and talk about spiritual things and talk about the difficulties of life. That's church. And Paul looks at this church in Philippi, the church that maybe he feels most passionate about, maybe one or two that he, that he is just most bonded with, right? He does ministry and a lot of them, but he's really bonded to these people. And he says, one of the reasons that I know that the Holy Spirit will move in a powerful way if I face the death penalty or no matter what I face is because you're praying that it will happen. And let me just tell you, like, if you want joy despite the future, then you have to have people that are praying for you. And you have to know people are praying for you. That's not going to happen by like going to church on a Sunday and doing nothing else. It's just not. You're gonna, you won't have joy. You won't. If your church experience is the normal American church experience, then your joy statistics will be just like every American that doesn't know, love, follow, serve Jesus. You have to enter into community in such a way that you have people who are praying for you and praying that the Holy Spirit will move in your life. Now here's the other part of that. You have to be a person. If we want other people to have joy, then you have to be a person that prays for other people consistently, right? We can't just have like five people in our church or in Christianity that are like, you guys are the five prayers. We're all using you, so I hope you have enough time. We have to be people that pray for others. 
if the modern church is going to be categorized by joy, which I think we should be, then we have to be praying for other people. And we have to be praying that no matter what they face, they will exalt Jesus within it. Because the Holy Spirit will be provided in a unique and powerful way. And then Paul says this just, this big, huge statement. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is one of the most famous statements in, in all of Christianity. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Normally what we say in, in kind of our Christian circles is like this. To live is gain and to die is Christ. Don't we? Like, I want this life, and I want all that this life brings me, and if I die, sweet Jesus, thanks for picking up the slack, you know, on what I couldn't accomplish by remaining alive. We're obsessed with staying alive in our culture today. Like, we do everything in our power to stay alive. We don't even like to think about death. We don't even call death, death. We say, like, passing away, because we don't want to think about the fact that people die. And Paul, I mean, just outright says, look, and this is what he's saying, I love Jesus so much. I want to know Jesus so much. I want to grow in Jesus so much. I want to be where Jesus is so much that dying is the better thing for me. Because when I die, when I die, I will, I will be perfected and I will know Jesus more than I can possibly know him on earth and I will be in his presence in ways that I cannot be in his presence in eternity. We sang it today, it comes out of the Psalms, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere and Paul loves Jesus so much that for him he's like, I wanna be where you are, I've experienced you and I know how great it is to be near you and so to die just speeds up the process. I'm with you and I'm with you forever. But to live, to live is to exalt Jesus on this earth. That's what he means. If I die, it's better for me. But to live, is, it just means that I get to glorify God here on this earth, that I get to show how great Jesus is. He explains it. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Richard Mellick, author of the New American Commentary, says, Paul's longing for death was, in reality, a longing for a more intimate, open, and total relationship with Christ himself. He just wants to be near Jesus, but he recognizes that the church in Philippi needs him to stay alive. That if he lives, it will produce fruit in them, which means that they'll grow in their relationship with Jesus. And he knows that if he stays alive, more people will give their lives to Jesus. And so he's like, man, it would be so much better to be dead than to sit here rotting away in jail, facing trial after trial for my faith. But I know if I stay alive that it's going to help you guys out a lot. Philippians 2.4, he's going to say in a passage we won't look at to the church in Philippi, he's going to say, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is Paul's mentality. If I live, it's for you. Because it's better for me to die. Now I just want to, I just want to pause and say like, on first glance you're like, wait a minute, like Paul sounds suicidal, right? If you're really thinking about like, Man, this guy's depressed, but he's not. He's super joyful, in fact. 
And, and the problem is that we don't think about life and its purpose very often. In fact, I would say in our, in our kind of post-Christian culture that we now live in America, we're seeing suicide rates skyrocket. And, and it's not because of the danger of wanting to be with Jesus, right? It's because of the danger of people no longer thinking that their life has a purpose. But as Christians, we should long to be dead, But we should know that staying alive is better because we have a purpose here and it's to glorify Jesus. And we glorify Jesus by helping other people grow in their faith. If you're alive, which you are, your purpose is to glorify Jesus by producing godly fruit, leading others to Jesus and helping others grow in their relationship with Christ. And I'll tell you, it's gonna be really hard for you to have joy in the hard moments. If if you're not working at that, because you're kind of purposeless. I mean, we kind of make up all these other purposes, like, I don't know, like, we can help some people along the way or be good family members or, you know, do nice things. And those are great, those are great. But in 100 years, they don't matter at all. Those people will be dead. But if you are producing spiritual fruit because your goal is to exalt Jesus then your life is, is really worth living. It's really worth living. And no matter how much it sucks, no matter how much it would be better to be G- with Jesus, which it would be, you can find joy here knowing that you are doing something important. And then Paul just finishes this section, our section. He says in verses 25 and 26, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Richard Mellick again says, as the Philippians matured in their understanding of Christ, notice this, their joy in the faith would be deepened. The two words progress and joy, both of those words are connected to the word faith in the Greek original manuscripts. What Paul is in essence saying is, is that both progress, obviously, and joy are part of your growing in the Christian faith. And I know as we do a subject like joy, it's like, oh, that's nice, I'd like that. But it's really easy, I understand that, to say, well, I'm not joyful anyway. But this passage, it says if you want to grow in your faith, then you have to grow in your joy. Isn't that interesting? If you want to be a person that's growing in your faith, then part of it, part of it, connected to that, is growing in your joy. It's so sad how many just like bitter, angry Christians are in the world today. No political party, no dissenting opinion, no thing that you face should ever take away your joy. And if you're growing in your faith, then you're going to be growing in your joy. And you can do that by making the exaltation of Jesus the primary aim of your life. Knowing, knowing that no matter what you deal with, no matter what comes at you, you will, you will continue to live for Jesus because, because you know that you're going to have a special provision of the Holy Spirit and you know that in large part because people are praying for you. Frank 
Thielman, who wrote the NIV Life Application Commentary, says, I love this. This is so good. This, listen to this. This is so important. This, this is where joy is found right here. Okay, ready? Christ is more important than life itself to him, speaking of Paul. And the joy and progress of his fellow Christians are more important than departing to be with Christ. This is how I'd say it because I like to take things people say and make them slightly better. If Jesus is more important than life and ministry more important than death, the uncertainty of the future cannot take our joy away. If Jesus is more important than life and ministry more important than death, then the uncertainty of the future cannot make our future joy uncertain. I'm going to do it one more time. If Jesus is more important than life and ministry more important than death, the uncertainty of the future cannot make our future joy uncertain. And this takes place as we have people praying for us and as God's Holy Spirit is provided for us. And so today, this is just my hope that you would be a person that says, look, my goal is to exalt Jesus. Like, I want to advance the gospel. And, and that's, that's gonna take time. I understand that's not like an overnight thing, but I'll, I mean, hopefully you'll wanna take steps in that. And as you do, as you do, you would say, I will be joyful. I will be joyful. Because whether I'm dead or alive, it's all about Jesus. Whether I'm dead or alive, it's all about the glory of Jesus. If you really want joy, I know it's hard, but that's what you got to do. Let me pray that it'll happen. Lord, uh, these are hard teachings. We all want joy. It's something I don't, I've never met a person that's like, I'd like to be less joyful. But God, there's so many distractions. There's so many fears. There's so many things that we deal with or think we ought to be dealing with that that tear at our, um, our one pure and holy passion, God, to know and follow hard after you. And I pray, God, for us, I pray for us that your Holy Spirit would come in a unique and special way. And Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts this morning. I know, God, that, that so many people who sit in front of me right now they hardly have joy because they're so scared about what will happen in the future. It ruins lives, God. And I pray that this morning, God, this morning, you would change that because you would change their mindset and they would, they would become, at least start to become, God, people who who are not living to be healthy, who are not living for success, who are not living to be liked, who are not living for money or goods, who are living only, God, for your glory and your fame and who are trusting, God, that no matter what they face, because their faith is growing, they're not quenching your spirit, God. They're not, they're not just going to church, but they have people who are praying for them because they've set themselves up, God. They would trust that no matter what they deal with in the future, God, they, they would continue to live for you. They would not be ashamed, but they would have courage to express your gospel. Man, I pray that for people, God. I want us to be the most joyful church ever, but not because we're like more joy, more joy, more joy, but because we're like, all we want is to see Jesus glorified. 
And no matter what we face, we believe that will happen. And so today, despite the uncertainty, we have joy. Let that be true of this church and the people in it, God. I ask these things in your name. Amen.